0: We are still in Mark, and we're in Mark chapter 11 right now. So, if you've got Bibles, you can turn to Mark chapter 11. We're going to be reading uh, starting at verse 12. We 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 went a little bit out of order there um, a a ways back. Um, Thought it was we were so close to having Palm Sunday um, line up with the triumphal entry account. Um, So we had Marcus. Uh, do that for us on Palm Sunday and now we're back in, in order and um, back in line with these passages. We have entered into the Passion Week here in this account in Mark of Jesus last week before His arrest and crucifixion, uh, before His glorious resurrection. And, and, and there's a lot, you know, we're, we're, we still have, how many chapters are there in Mark? Mark. We've still got another six chapters to go. There's lots to, to get through, lots that's going to happen in this next week that Mark wants us to be aware of, that, that helps us understand who Jesus is and, and what He has done for us. Um, but it starts here on verse 12. This is a bit of a, a troubling passage in some ways. Um, and again, this the significance of, of us arriving at this passage in Mark on the same Sunday that we're having our AGM is not a coincidence. It wasn't something that I had planned. Um, but just the appropriateness of this, I, I think, is, is really important for us uh, to recognize that, that God is, is doing something in, in our midst here. That He wants to say something to us today and we need to be listening closely to His voice. So let's start reading verse 12. On the following day, when they came from Bethany, Jesus was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, He went to see if He could find anything on it. But when He came to it, He found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. And then they came to Jerusalem. And he entered into the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And He would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And He was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? But you have made it into a den of robbers. The chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy Him. For they feared Him because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree had withered away to its roots. And Peter, remembering, and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus said to them, have faith in God. It seems like kind of a cruel thing to do to a fig tree. A fig tree that, that as Mark indicates, is not in season. It's not the time of year for, for there to be nice, juicy figs on that tree. But it helps to know a little bit of the growing pattern of fig trees. Once they are harvested in August to September, sometimes all the way into October, once all the fruit has been stripped off, th- there is a little bud that grows on the branches of a fig tree. And that bud lasts all the way through winter so that in the spring it will start to plump up and turn into what is called the early figs. Uh, the, the Hebrews called it the pagem. And then what happens, as soon as that that starts plumping up, in order to protect it from the heat of the sun, the leaves will start to grow at that point and cover all of that fruit so that it doesn't get burned by the sun as it goes through its maturation process and coming into its full fruitness later on in the summer. Uh, but that pageant is actually, c- can still be very sweet. When they have plumped up a little bit, they are, are quite tasty to eat, even though they're still a little bit early. Um, so the, the anticipation is, when you see a fig tree that is full of leaves in, in that spring part of the year, the expectation is there will be some of those early figs, some of those pagem, Even though it's not the season for full figs yet it's still there is those pageant that should be that provide a nice little tasty snack and that's what jesus was looking for he was hungry and was coming for for even though he recognized it wasn't the time for the tree to give its full fruit there still should have been some fruit there but when he looked he realized that the the tree was lying it had all of the leaves, it had all of the, the outer appearance that it should have fruit. But when he looked under the leaves, there was nothing there. And so he curses it and says, "You, No one will ever eat of your fruit ever again. This is an enacted Parable. In the Old Testament, there are are a number of situations where prophets enact their prophecies. They do some really weird things um, to try and and get a point off to the people, so that they would recognize they were they were being kind of like off the wall. So people would go, "What is this?" and and understand the prophetic word, the, the warning of, of God's wrath that was coming for the people. We have uh, um, uh, Ezekiel. He, he prophesied and, and laid on his side for 390 days, cooking his food over a fire of manure to, to make a specific point to the people Uh, of of what God was going to be doing in their lives in the very near future because of their sin and rebellion against him. Isaiah walked around naked prophesying. Uh, Jeremiah took his underwear and hid it under a rock for over a year to make a point. All of these enacted prophecies are are part of the tradition of the Jewish people. Jesus is, is telling a parable here using this fig tree as an enactment of a a more spiritual reality that was going on. And and it's not at all a coincidence that that in between these two accounts of the fig tree, of Jesus cursing the fig tree, and then them actually seeing the fig tree uh, withered away, that right in the middle of it is this account of Jesus coming to the temple. There's a direct connection between the lie of the fig tree showing that it had all of, all of the things that it needed to have fruit and yet nothing there to the very same thing that was going on with the temple. The place where, where people would come to meet with God. And it had all of the all of the the trappings that would that would indicate that it was a place where you could meet God. There were the priests that were there, the ones that were supposed to be the mediators between the people and God. They had all of the sacrifices that were going on in, 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 in the temple for the altar. On a regular basis, on a daily basis, there was the morning and the evening sacrifice. As they were coming up to, to Passover, there was the anticipation of the, the great sacrifices that would, that would happen in, in the Passover for uh, preparing for, for that feast that would happen there in Jerusalem. Uh, Josephus writes about in 66 AD, so this was a little few years after, this was the year that Herod's temple had finally been completed and they were celebrating and Josephus says that they, make sure I get the number right, that there were 255,600 lambs that were sacrificed that Passover year. A huge amount of sacrifices that was going on. There was all of these accoutrements of of. A place where you could go and meet with God. And yet, anybody that tried to meet God at the temple found themselves coming up empty because there was no fruit there. This is Herod's temple. Okay, this is a model of herod's temple it's not really herod's temple but but this is uh, the dimensions this is the uh, of all of the descriptions that we have and 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 the uh, everything that that comes out this is what herod's temple looked like this is the outer court this area all in here is called the gentiles court this would be for the people who weren't jewish by ethnic heritage uh, but still wanted to come and meet with God. This was the area that was available to them to come and worship and meet with God. Uh, Jeremiah, Isaiah calls this the house of prayer for all nations. People would come from all around the world to be able to, to bring their requests to God and to pray to him. And, and that's for those of you that have been to uh, to Jerusalem. This would be the outer wall. Now which is, do you guys remember which wall it is, is it the east wall or the, it's the west wall. So this is the west wall over here, uh, which is the closest to the holy of holies. And that's the wailing wall that still has that peace that that you can go and and worship in. So people still from around the world are coming to the temple uh, to, to worship, to encounter God, to pray to Him. And then we have uh, the, the temple proper, and this is the women's court here for, uh, for women who were of Jewish heritage. Uh, they would be able to come and, and worship God and pray here. And then we have the men's court, and in here is where the, the great sea, uh, the, the great bronze laver is in here, uh, the altar for all the sacrifices in this area. And then this is the holy of, or the holy place, that only the priest would be able to go into. That's where the lampstand is. That's where the the table of the showbread is. That's where the the incense um, is before the the curtain, the veil, and then at the very back is the holy of holies, uh, the place with the ark. Well, at this point, it wouldn't have been the ark was there, but uh, but the place where 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 God would sit, where His presence would come what was happening and what Josephus has described for us from uh, first century BC is this whole area became full of people trying to provide uh, the necessary elements for folks to be able to do their sacrifices because people were required, Jewish people were required to come from wherever they were every year to come and celebrate the Passover there in Jerusalem. That was was the expectation of every male that had come of age was to come and celebrate Passover in in Jerusalem. And rather than bringing your own lambs all the way from wherever you lived, whatever that might be, the, the dispersion of the Jews was great at this point already. People would come and then they would purchase an unblemished lamb that they would be able to sacrifice Uh, there would been uh, uh, tables that were selling pigeons for all of the sacrifice for those that were too poor to be able to to purchase a lamb or didn't have a a family large enough they would purchase a pigeon and have that sacrificed Um, there was all of the other there was the grain sacrifices and everything else that you could bring into the temple to sacrifice, to, uh, to worship God, to praise Him. That was all being sold here in this area as well. Uh, people had, were coming from all of these different countries, had a, uh, a currency that was very different than what Exodus required for temple worship. They needed to have a, a shekel, a Hebrew shekel, uh, that didn't have any face, printed on it because there wasn't supposed to be any idol worship at all and there was the the assumption that if there was a face printed on the currency that that would somehow be an, an idolatry so they couldn't come with a currency so all of their roman currency would have had caesar's face stamped on it and everything so they couldn't use that to bring to the temple so also in this gentile court there were the money changers And they would have these Tyrian shekels, which didn't have any face on them. They were made of pure metal. And people would come and bring their currency and exchange it. But because they were already in the temple, they were a captive market, right? They had to accept whatever rate of exchange the money changers here were requiring. And they got greedy. Rather than just exchanging straight across one for another, they were demanding more and more so that the people that were coming to worship were being oppressed and extorted by these money changes that were happening here. And all of it was under the watchful eye of the priests because they saw this as a grand opportunity for them to fill their pockets. So if you wanted a place in the Gentile court to sell your lambs, to sell your pigeons, to exchange your money, you'd have to give a cut to the priests. And they were getting filthy rich on all that was going on in the temple courts. And anybody who came here to worship God when they came here, if they couldn't get inside the temple, they were surrounded by all of these animals. All of the m- merchants calling out for their wares, to sell their wares, uh, to talk about their great currency that they had, the great exchange rate. There was no fruit. And, and the priests themselves were no longer concerned about being mediators between God and man. They were more concerned about lining their own pockets, uh, about making building their own Wealth. this is the fig tree that Jesus was talking about. You see, it wasn't the season for the temple. The Messiah had come. All that this temple represented, all that it was pointing to, was now here in the person of Jesus Christ. The temple was no longer going to be necessary. There would be no need for any more sacrifices because the Messiah had come to be the ultimate, perfect sacrifice for all. There was no need anymore to to come into the Holy of Holies, to enter into the presence of God because now God would indwell each and every believer through the Holy Spirit. That we all are the temple of God. So so it was no longer necessary for the temple it was out of season but jesus came that that maybe there was still maybe just some little fruit that was there there still would be some value some opportunity for people to be able to connect with god there in that place but when he got there as marcus talked about in his when jesus did his triumphal entry came into jerusalem and 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 surveyed all that was going on in the temple he saw no fruit at all so he says this is the end no one will taste of your fruit ever again and in a few short years this great edifice this uh, this architectural beauty had been ripped stone from stone with no stone left on top of another and remains that way to this day it's an amazing piece it was was stunning for everybody that lived in that time this is herod's temple that he built this is solomon's temple according to the 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 description that we have in scripture of the sizes and what we have from history of the sizes of all of this Uh, this is oh oh, oh, no we don't have it here I, i had another one that that no, I don't. That showed the tabernacle, which was even smaller than Solomon's temple. And, and the temple that, that was here existed before Herod's temple was Zerubbabel's temple, right? When the, when the people returned from exile in Babylon, they built a new temple. And you remember there in Ezra where it talks about how uh, the people cried out. There were those that, that didn't remember solomon's temple in all of its glory and they cried out with joy when they saw the foundation being laid for zerubbabel's temple but those that were old enough that remembered the beauty of this amazing piece wept because it it didn't come close to what they had left behind and now there's this and you can imagine people This is, God is here. It had all of the beauty, it had all of the structure, it had all of the components that it needed to be a place where you could meet with God. There was no fruit. As I said, it is... I was struck this week as I was preparing for this sermon to recognize that this is the Sunday that we as a congregation are talking about what God has been doing in our past and what we see God doing in our future in this next year as we plan out budgets, as we, as we appoint new leaders to guide us. I think we need to stop and assess. There are a lot of things here that have the appearance of a place where you can connect with God. Is there fruit, though? Do people actually encounter the Spirit of God when they come here, part of our church? Are we... Are we structuring our church? Are we making decisions in our church that more, are more about us building our edifice and, and building our uh, um, reputation? Or is it really focused on, Lord, where are you leading us? What are you wanting to do here in our midst? What are the priorities that you have set out for us? And are we following those? It's important for us to to take some time to prepare our hearts and to listen for the Holy Spirit. To ask Him to to push out all of that stuff that's in our hearts and in our minds. uh, Those those traditions and those agendas and those, uh, those ideas of the way that should be. Pushing all that out so that we can hear what God wants for us as His people, as His church in this place. I've got a song uh, that I really like. Um, it speaks about, about surrender, about putting, putting everything at the foot of the cross, and allowing Jesus to take it and use it for whatever way that he would. I ask that you would, as we sing this song, for your own heart, make that your prayer. I surrender all. And for our church, that as we go into this AGM, into talking about all the business and everything else, that we would surrender all. We would surrender our traditions. There are are ways that we have developed over the last number of years that that kind of define who we are as a church, uh, that have been comfortable for us to follow after. But we need to, uh, don't don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying we get rid of all traditions. Traditions are good if they are led by Christ. If they are leading people to experience the fruit of connecting with God. But if there is any of those traditions that are more about us, more about what's comfortable for us, what, what worked in the past or Just because it's easiest, let's just keep on doing it that way. Let's instead put everything at the foot of the cross and surrender it to Jesus and allow Him to lead and guide us in this next year. Why don't you stand as we sing this song? Lord Jesus thank you that that when we come to surrender we can trust you that you are good in everything that you do that you have a plan and a purpose for fulfilling all of our potential and making our lives count eternity. We pray, Lord. We pray that your spirit would take us beyond just the words of this song to the very heart of it. That we would be a people characterized by surrender, by submission to you, by following hard after whatever you call us to do. We won't take any of the credit. We will reflect all of that. We will, we will lay our crowns at your feet and say it's all because of you. Thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen.